0: folks. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, We're continuing uh, our series, House of Prayer, looking at specifically our our value of vulnerable communion. Part of vulnerable communion with God is is looking at our prayer life. And so last week we considered uh, Jacob wrestling with God, learned about contending for communion with God, that God wants us to Embrace him, go after him, hold on to him for all we got, Uh, but now this morning we're looking at what it looks like to contend for the blessing uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and the story of Hannah. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1. The word reads, there was a certain man, there was a certain man in Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, and Ephrathite, Ephrathite. He had two wives, the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And you know, here's the husband jumping in. It's like, dude, not helpful. Not helpful. Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I? Yeah. Like, just stop, Elkanah. <laughs> just stop. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Oh, boy. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor, that's the conditions of being a Nazarite, no razor shall touch his head. He will be fully devoted to the Lord. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Begins to remind you of Romans chapter 8. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord, then they went back to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Let's pray. We'll jump into it. God, thank you for your word. Um, and God, thank you that you give us stories to learn from. Thank you that you're a good dad in the sense that you don't just put the rule chart out there and here's all the things you need to do and not do. and But you give us stories so that you might, again, lay our hearts bare, that we might Kind of get the experiences of others and be able to track it on our own life and say, yeah, we felt like that before. And if you've been like this in those situations, you will be like it again. You will be the Lord of hosts almighty for us as well. But God, we do ask that you would help us to be a people who contend for blessings. Help us to be a people who are not merely religious, going through routine, having little to no expectations of your work among your people. But let us be people who have high expectations. As Jesus says, when we ask for a mountain to be thrown in the sea, (laughs) you will do it. So Jesus, even you've taught us to be optimistic. Even you have taught us in some sense to contend with high expectation for your good God. So teach us to content, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we do when God withholds blessing? And what do we do when God withholds a blessing that, for all intents and purposes, seems as though God would want that for us? Like, it's good stuff. It's not as though it's just some, you know, crazy, selfish desire that you're, that you're yearning for. No, it's a, it's a good desire, and even God would say, oh, no, this is rightly to be desired. What do we do when God withholds that blessing? And what do we do in those moments When, in fact, God has given us in his words some what are seemingly even naively optimistic texts like Matthew 7, verse 7, which says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door uh, will be opened to you. Or Matthew 18, verse 19. Where two or three come together in my name, whatever they ask in my Father's will, it will be given to them. Or Matthew 21, 21, if with faith you say to that mountain, be cast into the sea, it will be done, right? What do we do when... right? We have sought blessing, even good blessing. God is seemingly withholding that blessing from us. And yet God seemingly is saying in his word, like, hey, you ask and I'm going to give it to you because I'm the father of lights. (laughs) I'm the one who cares about all these different needs and actually wants to meet your needs. What do we do? Folks, I don't know about you, but in these moments where it seems like God withholds blessings from us, I am oftentimes tempted to doubt God's character. You know, we begin to, like, get all in our heads about either God's goodness or his power. He must not be all-powerful to do the thing that I need him to do, or he's just not all good that he would want to do the thing that I need him to do. We begin to get in our heads about God's character. We begin to doubt him, and I do think for us... Uh, I don't know if it's a Western thing or what, but it seems as though we struggle not so much with the idea that God is all powerful, but we, we, we struggle with the idea that God is all good when God is seemingly withholding blessing from us. That's the struggle that we often find ourselves in. And, and folks, I just want to get a little gritty with you this morning. At times, these moments where God withholds his blessing, it leaves the church, it leaves us a bit skeptical and. And oftentimes reverting to what is kind of this corrupt religiosity that, that lends itself to kind of like, well, we're just not going to have any expectations for God to do big things in our midst. Don't think that God's going to do No, we just need to make everything ordinary, kind of lower our expectations of God, because we don't want to be a people who are hurt by God who won't come through for our blessing. That's not a healthy Christianity when you have to couple that with the fact that God has made very, very optimistic statements to his kids. You come to me, I'm going to answer. So there has to be something in all this, a better way of going about contending with God for the blessing. And I would pose this. It's time that God's people learn how to We're a westernized people. Everything is quick. When I want it, I get it. So when it comes to contending, we just kind of back away. We're, we 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 resort to actually like being okay with getting grumpy with God, rather than at times learning to contend for the blessing. Learning to lean in to be a people of prayer. To be a people of prayer who are not just in it for the momentary foxhole moment. But say, I'm going to stay in this foxhole. I'm going to stay in the darkness. I'm going to stay in the dark valley. And I am going to press into God. I'm going to go after him. And I'm going to go after him again. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue to go after him until he says, no. No. I'm contend for the blessing. Folks, I don't know about you, but I think, I think, pastorally, my burden is that we may not really understand what prayer is all about. Oh, you may know theologically. But really, the call to be a people of prayer, that we would contend for the blessing when God is seemingly withholding, I, I don't know that as a people we're ready for that to stay up until 1 a.m. and pray. <laughs> nah, nah. Like, I got needs. I, I got things that I'd really love to see from God, but staying up until nah, I'm, not, I'm not doing that, right? But maybe God's calling you into that. And that's something you have to wait. Are you really contending? And you say, maybe I'm just too busy. Well, maybe you're busy in the wrong ways. And all of this involves wisdom, right? So we have to be careful. But, Without having to like parse everything out for you, I do believe that God would say to us this morning, oh, may my people learn how to pray. May they learn how to contend for the blessing. So what we have here in uh, Hannah's story, where we, we see the setting in the first few verses, but then there's a few scenes. And so in the setting and in the scenes, we have a few lessons that we can learn on how to contend with God for the blessing. So let's jump right into it, knowing that we are way past time uh, this morning. So the setting, verse one. We enter into this story and we're introduced to this this phrase: "There was a certain man." Now we could stop. That could be a sermon, right there. Just that. That's a sermon. There was a certain man because here here is the point. That particular phrase is used regularly in the book of Judges. And in the Hebrew Bible, it was the book of Judges with line right up next to 1 Samuel. So you would go from the story of the Judges and into 1 Samuel. And so what the author is doing, he's connecting those two stories, right? So he's connecting these two stories. And if you know anything about the Judges, what you come to recognize is it was a dark and bad time for God's people. In fact, the phrase is often utilized when it comes to that particular time of God's people. It's that God's people did what was right in their own eyes. And then it has this tag phrase at the end, and they had no king. Right? It, it, was, it was a time, three to four hundred years, of God's people falling into corruption and then God raising up a judge that would bring correction. So it was corruption, correction, corruption, correction for three to four hundred years. It was a dark time. We could say it this way in light of this particular chapter, First Samuel. It was a spiritually barren time for God's people. A fruitless time. We actually will see, if you read into the storyline of 1 Samuel, it, it, it it, it says things like 1 Samuel 3, it was a time when the Lord's voice and his prophetic visions were rare. God's voice wasn't being heard among God's people. It was a dark time for God's people. But, 1 Samuel chapter, there was a certain man. So we're seeing this contrast now from a dark and difficult time, but now we get descriptions of who this man was. He's from Ramathayim Zophim, which means, the name means the high places of the watchers or the prophets, right? It was a place that even by name would give some sense to the ancient readers that something spiritual is at hand. The high places, Right? In those times were known as the places where God encountered his prophets. Prophets like, for instance, Moses. Where did he go to encounter God? He went up the hill. He goes up Mount Sinai to encounter God. And so there is a certain man from the high places of the prophets, and his name is Elkanah. The name means the zeal of the Lord. So the idea in even these terms, these names, this place, this person, is that the zeal of the Lord is coming down from the high places. That's the idea. And so for the ancient reader, you're you're, you're looking at the book of Judges, and you're saying, whoa, this was a dark time. And then you're jumping into 1 Samuel, and you're saying, wait a second, I'm beginning to see something of a groundswell. There's a silver lining here that's, that's about to be seen. There's something of pregnant potential here, right? God's up to something. God's on the move from the dark ages of the judges, this spiritually barren time, to now. Man, there's something of spiritual stuff at work in these names and in this introduction. So, for the ancient reader, oh man, they would be like, "Ooh, this is this is, this is going to go somewhere." It seems as though for the ancient reader, they would be saying, it "Looks like God's up to something. God's on the move," and therefore. It's intended just in the first few phrases, the names, the places. It's, it's for us in some sense, for the ancient reader first, then to get their hopes up. It has been three to four hundred years of a lot of brokenness and difficulty, but now God's on the move. Therefore, get your hopes up. God is doing something. He has not fallen asleep. He's not forgotten his people. He's not forgotten his promises. He has promised actually that a king would come and he would be the one who prefigures the Messiah. And he would lead his people into righteousness. King David soon to come. Right? So the call in these first few phrases is get your hopes up. Folks, how do we apply that to us? Even for us to say, isn't it also true? God has not fallen asleep. He's not given up on his people. In fact, for us, the true king, King Jesus, he has come. And in some sense, we could say this, that he has brought the high places down. He has brought them into our dark valleys, right? The presence of God has been brought down into our circumstances through Jesus. He has brought the high places down. He's brought the kingdom to earth. He's torn that curtain so that we might now know the presence of God, have relationship with God and enter boldly into his throne room, that we would know the benefits of relationship and communion, that we would immerse ourselves in the truth of who God is, knowing that God actually wants to make himself manifest through us. Amazing. The high places that God's not just reserved to some place in the high places. No, he's, he's come down and now he's residing in his people. The whole point is God's on the move. When you step back and you see the storm, God's accomplishing great and wonderful things and he intends to accomplish great things through his people. For the king has come. And, oh, Elkanah. <laughs> The zeal of the Lord is accomplishing this. So, the first lesson is this. When God withholds blessings, don't lose perspective. Don't lose perspective. Too oftentimes, we live in the midst of difficulty with tunnel vision, right? All we see is the thing that's either missing or not happening or not showing up or not working out for us. Too often, that's the main thing. That's all we tend to see. It's tunnel vision rather than panorama vision. And so it's important at times not to lose perspective. It's time to step back and in some sense just gain some perspective of what God is up to and what he's accomplishing throughout redemptive history and what he intends to accomplish through you. Folks, when we lose perspective of what God is doing, you will inevitably lose faith in what God can do for you. You will stop praying. You will stop contending. If God is God, who's not on the move, and you can't count and it's just this gaping hole of, of whatever that's just not happening for me, that's all you see of God. You will not contend for the blood. You'll just sit back and say, well, God, God's not moving for me. I guess I'll just resort to my own kind of like safe religiosity where I'm not having any expectation for God, and I'm just going through routine until God comes back and you know, helps me that way. God has you here because he intends to work through you for his own name's sake. He's seeking to partner with you even as we'll see in a little bit. Folks, for every way in which we see God working, you know, there's 10,000 more in which we don't see him working. He's active in our midst. God's on the move. For God's people, we need to get our hopes up. We shouldn't lower our expectations of what God's about. But part of that is then gaining, making sure we gain perspective, that we don't have tunnel vision, but we carry something of that panorama vision. God is still on the move. Folks, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Now, in scene one... We see the pain. We see the pain that's experienced in God withholding this blessing. We come to see that Elkanah comes from this highly esteemed family. That's, that's the point of sharing all the family lineage. As we opened up, it's all these weird names, right, that he goes through. Part of going through those names is to recognize that Elkanah's family is a known family. It's highly esteemed. So he's like one of the main dudes in the town, if you will. And he has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Again, God's not saying, hey, this is a good idea. Uh, Jesus will actually say, Matthew 19, from the beginning, that was never God's intention. One man, one woman together. All right? So, that sermon done. Uh, Peninnah (laughs) has children. And here's the dark, deep anguish. Here's the pain. Hannah is barren. Now, every year, year after year, Elkanah goes to Shiloh, and he goes there to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Shiloh was the place, after God's people had come into the land, that they had set up the tabernacle. The tabernacle could be taken up and set down as they wandered through the wilderness, but now it found found its permanent place in Shiloh. And so Elkanah would go there to give yearly sacrifice and worship before the Lord. So the custom was that Elkanah would give Peninnah and her children a portion of the sacrifice. That that, that was a time of blessing. Man, we get some meat, you know, that's good stuff. And he would give Hannah, then, verse 5, a double portion because he loved her. But notice how Peninnah would respond to this, verse 6. She would provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her that the Lord has closed her womb. Peninnah is a type. If I can just go here without setting it up and using that extra time. Peninnah is a type of Satan. She is exploiting the pain. She's exploiting the weaknesses of Hannah. And, and it's not just like trying to say, hey, you're not adding up to what Elkanah would, would desire of you and want of you. Or, or, or she's not just saying, hey, you're not... You're, you're, you're not, you know, being what ultimately his family w- would need in order to remain this renowned and good family. You know, it's not just that she's putting all that shame into Hannah's face. But in some sense, even from the text, we recognize that one of the strategies of Peninnah in coming against Hannah is actually taking the goodness of God and throwing that in her face. He has closed your womb. Even this almighty, good, covenant-keeping God is against you. Who does that? Satan. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, what is Satan doing? Oh, God's not that good. He's withholding blessing from you. right? Satan is always the one. Zechariah chapter 3, right? When, when Joshua the priest is standing there in that vision and he's got dirty clothes, who's standing and accusing him? It's Satan. The enemy is coming out of him saying, you're worthless. You're nothing. This, this God isn't interested in you. You're broken. And what does the vision then in Zechariah? Oh, it's like the Jesus figure comes and takes off the dirty clothes and then throws a clean garment on Joshua the priest. Again, as we get to Revelation 12, it's the same stuff. Satan's coming after you, the church. He's bringing accusation against you. He's not letting you, like, forget the shame of the past, rubbing that in your face again and again, tempting you with it, bringing you down, right? There is an enemy at play here. Peninnah is actually the one who is a type of Satan. Folks, isn't it true that when... God withholds blessing, the enemy always seems to be there to rub it in our face. He exploits us in our most vulnerable pains. He rubs shame in our faces. He, ca- he causes us to doubt the goodness of God. But here's the hope that we have. Jesus came to destroy the works of Of the enemy. He came, Colossians chapter 2, to disarm the enemy by putting them to open shame. Jesus came, in other words, to be our holy defender. For every accusation, for every ounce of shame, for the pain that we endure, Jesus says, I am standing there with you. I am your foreguard, your backguard, your sideguard. I am your holy defender. It's who he says he is for us. And therefore, the the second lesson that we can see is this, is that, yes, when God withholds blessing, we should expect spiritual warfare. Expect it, you say, well, you know, isn't that getting a little, like, you know, into fantasy, the fantasy world of the Bible? No, from beginning to end, God says, this is a reality. There's an enemy who stands against you. He loves to exploit our weaknesses. He loves to uh, take our most sensitive vulnerabilities and, 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 and work doubt into our minds as to the goodness of our God. He won't let us forget it. And, 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 and then if it's, if it's not to shame you for whatever is not happening, then it's to cause you to shame God. He Again, he'll put question into your mind as to the goodness of God. The goodness of God can become this bitter thought when things aren't working out. He will turn your heart from God. And therefore the call, Ephesians 6, stand firm, O Christian. (laughs) Stand firm. There's going to be a battle, but it's not against flesh and blood. Peninna ain't the problem. (laughs) There's someone behind all of that. Right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Christian, when God withholds blessing, in other words, it's time to armor up. It's time to armor up, it's time to put the, the promises of God to work. It's time in some sense to pull out that Bible, the sword of the Spirit, it's time to put on that breastplate of righteousness, of purity. It's time to put on Jesus. It's time to hold up that shield of faith. It's time to go to battle. When God withholds blessing, we should expect spiritual warfare. It's not time to sit back. And I know that's a hard thing because we're exhausted. We're exhausted. We're exhausted from the circumstances. We're exhausted from this ongoing spiritual warfare because it just doesn't let up. It just comes at us again, and it comes at us again. But oh, it's to put on Christ. It's to get our gaze on Christ. It's to hold on to his promises. It's to be a people who actually then press into prayer, as Ephesians 6 would talk about. When God withholds blessing, folks expect Spiritual warfare. Now, the second scene that that we have unfolding here, oh, and this is something beautiful. In verse 7, it says that this warfare went on year by year. It was a long, it was a difficult battle, but the text implies that year after year, Hannah would not eat, Year after year, she would fast. Elkanah would bring a double portion, demonstrate his love and care to her, but she would not eat it. She would fast in these moments. Fasting, folks, is what we do to keep our desperation focused on God and to keep focused on our desired blessing. Right? It's a way to keep all other joys from getting in the way of 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 one contending for the blessing. Fasting was part of, then, her warfare. It kept the need, and it kept her God front and center. No other enjoyments to distract in these moments. But she not only fasted, but after Elkanah, as we saw, is less than helpful in verse 8. Verse 9, she prays to the Lord. It's fasting and prayer. This is how she's contending for the blood. This is how she's going about it. She's fasting because she wants to keep focus on the need and keep focused on her God. But then she prays to the Lord. And it's assumed that this is just kind of a regular occurrence. But this particular time is a bit unique because there's Eli and he sees her lips moving but not saying anything. He assumes she's drunk. And so in in this time, the idea is that prayer was was done out loud. You go to the temple, or you go to the tabernacle there, you know, and, and God, God's people would pray out loud. Like We live in a time where it's privatized faith. You know, it's this individual, like, I'll have my prayer time over here, uh, quietly. Right? That isn't the idea in, the, in these moments. It's that everyone would be praying, and praying out loud, not necessarily you know, super loud and being obnoxious about it, but everyone would be praying out loud. It was vocalized. It was getting God into the air, so to speak, right? So here she is, but she's not saying anything. And her mouth is moving, and so Eli thinks that she's drunk. But notice how then she describes her praying. She's defending herself against some of the accusations of Eli, but verse 15, she says this. She says... I have been pouring out my soul unto the Lord. The idea refers to this laborious prayer. It's this heart-wrenching work. It's blood, sweat, and tears effort given in prayer. It's like she is exhausted, and yet she's pouring out her exhaustion before the Lord. She has no words to say, Romans 8. So she's trusting in some sense, like, oh, God's got God's to gotta do the work. I need the Holy Spirit to come and give those groanings, give those words, right? And so there she is. She's bringing her exhaustion before the Lord. She's pouring her heart out before the Lord. And in that sense, she's contending for the blessing. She ain't giving up, right? And, and notice then the specifics of how she's contending in this prayer, she appeals to God's character, verse 11. Instead of getting angry with God, oh, he's not good, he's not all-powerful, What is verse, verse 11, she calls him the Lord of hosts, the Lord Yahweh. He's the covenant-keeping God. In other words, he's steadfast in his love. He's steadfast in his goodness. That's what she's claiming when she's praying. She's praying the attributes of God. She's praying God's character. You are good, God, and I will not let that go and she calls him the lord of hosts which not only is he good he's the covenant keeping god but he's also the almighty one he is the he is the general of generals right he stands above all others he has no true rivals he is the almighty one and therefore not only is he good but he is almighty she is holding on to both of those extremes that we oftentimes, when we don't see the blessing, we tend to either despise something of God's goodness or we resent that he's able to do anything at all. She's holding on to both, right? And in these moments, she's not only appealing to God's own character, but then secondly, and, 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 and this is startling, and I, I would just say this thrills the heart of God. She allows God to determine his purposes for the blessing. Before even having a child or having even any notion that she will have a child, she holds out the potential before God and says, you can own it if I can just birth it. You can have this son If I can just give birth to this son. In other words, she she simply wants to partner with God in his purposes. She's contending for the blessing by praying her blessing into God's purposes. Like, here it is. Just use me. Just use me as you want, but bring the blessing. You own it if I can just birth it. Folks, if you want to thrill the heart of God, well, that's it. Right? Would to God that the church would learn from Hannah's example. But again, I, this is just like the burden that God has thrown on my heart. So I'm not going to give all the caveats that perhaps would be super pastoral in this moment. I'm just going to say it. I'm not sure that as a church we know how to prevail in prayer like this. Year after year, fasting and praying, fasting and praying, fasting and praying, appealing to the character of God, holding on to his good, holding on to his might and saying, God, I, I will not give up on either of those things. I trust who you are and whatever you choose to do, not do. Oh, God, let it be that it it would be according to your purposes Folks, when it comes down to it, fasting and prayer was not below the people of God in the Old Testament. Fasting and prayer was not below the people of God in the New Testament. So we shouldn't assume that we're above it. In other words, this is part of the Christian life that God calls us into. He calls us to prevail in prayer. He calls us to go deep with him in prayer, to contend for the blessing holding on to his character, his goodness, and his might, while at the same time saying, however you want to use me, let it be, and let it be ultimately for your purposes. In our context, we're way too quick and easy, like just to get disgruntled with God. If we don't get the blessing now, well, now I'm angry with God, resenting his goodness, despising his power, and then what do we do? We, we determine to curb our pain with the enjoyment with every, of every lesser blessing. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, like God's not showing up. So you know what I'm going to do? I, I, I'm going to ease myself with all these other lesser blessings. Hannah doesn't do that. She fasts. So those other lesser blessings don't get in the way. I'm going to go to battle with God in some sense, right? And I'm going to put all those lesser blessings to the side so I can contend for this. So I can stay focused on the need. And stay focused on my God. This is lesson three. When God withholds blessing. God is calling you into partnership with him. God is calling you into partnership with him. Here's the point of that. That may be like a left turn for some of you. Like where did that come from? Um, The whole purpose of prayer. And notice, I, I, I say that it. there's a lot of mystery to prayer. It's like, God says some amazing things about prayer. And so there's a lot of mystery there. But what we do know about prayer is this, that through prayer, through contending for blessing, through going hard after God, through fasting and prayer, God intends to partner with you right the whole reason why he would say ask and you'll receive and, and seek and you'll find them. the door you know keep knocking right because god's a good father and he loves to give good gifts the reason why these kind of statements are said is so that we would keep on coming after god because god just doesn't want to give us things he actually wants us to partner with him in his grand purposes of seeing all things made new in jesus that's the whole point of hannah <laughs> right hannah and sam you can own it if i could just birth it Right? God, in the contending for the blessing, God brings us to the place of saying, all right, God, would you bring the blessing? But as you bring the blessing, I'm cool with however you want to utilize this for your purposes and your plan. God wants our hearts. He wants to partner up for us to partner with him. That's what prayer is all about. That's why Jesus gives us these grand optimistic That's why he appeals to the heart and character of the Father. Come after him, come after him, come after him, because God wants to partner with you according to his redemptive purposes. God will sometimes, in those moments of contending for the blessing, say yes, he'll sometimes say no, he'll sometimes say wait, but that ain't the point. (laughs) The point isn't in the answer, the point is in the partnership. He wants you to partner with him. He wants you to know something of his own heart, of his own desires. He wants you to press into him to prevail in prayer as a partner in his purposes. God wants you to partner with him in his purposes. It's one thing to simply want from God. It's another thing to want things from God so that you can share in his heart and share in his purposes. While there's plenty of mystery in prayer, this is the stuff that we do know. God wants your heart. He wants to co-labor with you so that you might even say, Oh, God, you can have it if I can just birth it, right? If I can just play a role in what you're ultimately accomplishing. When God withholds blessing, God is calling you to partner with him. Now, by way of conclusion. Hannah heads home from this particular trip, right? And they conceive. The miracle is brought. Her womb is open. Now, maybe as we've gone through this story, you've been thinking about the physical blessing, right? Perhaps you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's the conception of a new life. It's this physical blessing that we should contend for, right? But pastorally, as I've gone through this story, um, while that's in my mind, of course, it's not necessarily the burden that I'm carrying. The burden that I've carried with this text is is actually evidenced in what this story is ultimately all about. As you will see, Hannah will give birth to who? You know, what? Huh? Samuel. All right. Good. Okay. All right. We're still we're, we're still here. Good. In God's purposes, Samuel will be the last judge. There's an end to this corruption, correction stuff. Samuel will be the last judge and he will actually be the one who then appoints the soon-to-be King David who will then bring God's people into Jerusalem, the presence of God according to the ark, into Jerusalem. The land will be conquered, so to speak, but more importantly, it'll be through this David that a true king would come. This king who would come, namely Jesus, would be the one who in Luke 10, Verse two would say, church, pray earnestly. (laughs) Contend for the blessing, in other words. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, right? That he would send laborers into the field. Why? Because the fields are ripe unto harvest. While you may read this story and you may think, physical conception, the burden that I've carried with this story is that there would be a spiritual conception, that there would be regeneration, that there would be something of the harvest brought in. Folks, when it comes down to it, contend for the, maybe it's going to be physical things, right? Maybe it's going to be physical things. Make sure you see the bigger picture as you contend, right? Make sure you see the bigger picture. God's on the move. Get your hopes up. But then, secondly, also know that as you're contending, there will be spiritual warfare. We've been contending for certain things even over the last few weeks, and we're watching Satan step in, confuse things, begin sifting his God's people like wheat. You don't take steps forward in the kingdom not to have the enemy push back. It happens. Again and again, we're in the fight right now as a church. <laughs> we're contending. A variety of different things happening. right? So spiritual warfare is real as we contend for the blessing. right? But also know that when God withholds the blessing, he's calling us to partner with him. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labor. Who are the laborers? <laughs> You, me, us, right? This is what we're about. And, and here's then the point. And I'm, I'm going to take a, uh, a, a prophetic risk. I think that's where God has us as a church. It doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, blow this place up with crazy numbers of people necessarily, right? But I think God is just saying, I want to do great things through you, but it means that you need to contend. You need to come at me, Right? You need to make sure our hearts are partnered together because I can't, I can't give you things to steward that you're not ready yet to steward, right? Because your heart's still, you're, you're, you're still just kind of cool doing your religious thing. Will you contend, right? Will you pray? Will you fast? And that's where individually, you're just gonna have to process that on your own. <laughs> what is God calling you to? Is there a reason to get a little bit serious? Time to, all right, Lord, Yeah, there's more that you have, not just the humdrum normal stuff, but there's more that you want to do in our lives. Maybe it's through the humdrum normal stuff, but there's more that you want to do. Folks, get your hopes up. God's on the move, and he wants to utilize you for the good of his kingdom, to see the sheaves brought in, to see the wheat gathered. Let's pray. God, I pray, even right now, that you would grant uh, something of clarity for us. Grant something of clarity, clarity of mind, clarity of heart. Where personally, you're calling us to contend with you for blessing. God, bring those things to mind. Maybe it is prodigals. Maybe it is just difficult situations that we face. Maybe it is uh, even looking at the future and just not knowing what direction to take or how it's all going to add up or what the next steps are. God, where where we are confused, we want to contend with you for the way forward. We want to contend with you to see prodigals back home, to see circumstances resolved in your good graces. And Jesus, I pray I pray, I pray, oh God, that you would protect us from the evil one who would want to cause us to question either your goodness or your might. And God, would you make us then a people who are who are willing to be a bit messy in the fight. In the fight to know that you are good. 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 If there's different aspects where we're just asleep in our religiosity, shake us up, oh God. Shake us up. Help us to be like Hannah who would set many of the enjoyments aside in order to focus on the one need And to focus on her good and almighty God. And God, I pray as we learn how to contend with you for blessing. As we learn how to be a people of prayer and fasting. As we learn how to be a people who hold on to your goodness and hold on to your might. God, on the other end of that, I pray that you would make us a people of the testimony. That there would be testimonies told. We prayed, we fasted, we pressed in, and our God showed up. Souls were saved. Prodigals came home. Bitterness dissolved. Chaos was brought to peace. Oh God, make us a people of the testimony. For it's from you and through you and to you that are all things. You deserve the praise, you deserve the glory. Help us to contend, O God. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank God is calling us into contending, contending. Don't be good to just be a player on the sidelines. He's calling you in, contend, contend, contend. Contend with him for communion, to know his presence, but to contend with him for blessing. He wants your heart. But I also think it's important that we say this this morning, as I see these two sisters up here, that we would contend together. We would contend together we would stand with one another in one another's needs in one another's dark places, so to speak, and contend with God for one another. It's why we're together. It's why we're together. It's why we need to be with one another. Not just showing up on a Sunday, but praying and interceding for one another and saying, God, I'm a, I'm a fight for my sister. I'm a fight for my brother and you. We're going to go hard after you for one another. We've been praying these ways. We've been fasting for these things. We've been going hard late in the night, praying, praying, oh God, make us a people who love on one another, intercede for one another well, step into one another's hurts and difficulties and darkness and contend well for one another. Let it be. So I just want to close in prayer. If you want to linger afterwards, if you want to spend time up front, do whatever you gotta do. Let it be. But I just want to pray, beside instead of doing benediction, to pray that God would make us people who contend with him together. So, God, right now, we come to you. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you have made us your body, hands and feet, according to you who are the head. So you've woven us together in relationships, you've woven us together sovereignly that we would be a body in this locale, in this area, with one another, in all our diversity, in all our different gifting, even in some of our different perspectives, but also then in our various different difficulties. So when a part of the body hurts, the body hurts. So, God, may it be, then, that we step in, care for one another well, and contend for the blessing for one another well. So make us a people, make us a people who contend well together, that, Jesus, we might grow up into maturity, into the head who is you. Glorify your name as we contend for the blessing we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you guys.